Good morning. Uh, glad to be with you again this morning. Thankful for each one who has met together here and uh, thankful for the opportunity we have to worship and to look into the Lord's Word together. Um, as we've met together over the course of the last nine or ten months, we've looked at various doctrines that are held by this church as we've considered the, the various articles of faith and related topics and uh, last month we tried to look at the subject of the Holy Spirit's immediate work in regeneration or the bringing of life to those who are dead. Today, the Lord willing, I want to consider the subject of the gospel specifically and sanctification as it begins and, and continues through the Word of God being applied to the hearts and minds and lives of His children and in thinking about this, I, I want to look this morning in this Bible study session just at the idea of the gospel, what the word itself means, and what it means to us as individuals and collectively as a church, and also to think about uh, to think about the reality that the gospel is everything that we've been considering for the last year together, everything this church stands for, everything we as Christians profess. A lot of times uh, people try to distinguish the gospel from the body of belief as though the gospel is a very limited or specific message. But as we look at it in the word of God, we find Paul refers to all of his teaching that he does at various times as the gospel, because it is in fact the gospel. So the word gospel uh, comes from a an early English word that essentially meant good news, which is appropriate because the word translated gospel in the New Testament scripture is the Greek word, which means good message, good news. And that may seem like an oversimplification, but that is in fact what we preach, the only good news, because we live in a broken world, a fallen world, a world full of sin and full of bad news. And that's the fact in our lives every day. No day goes by that we don't hear some bad news. News about ones that we love and care about. News about world politics and events. News about something broken. Something that's going wrong. Something that's not the way that it should be. And if we look internally, all we find is bad as well. Because when we would do good, evil is present with us. There's always bad going on. But the gospel is good news. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read of, uh, we read a very, what to me is a very special, uh, expression that we should think about, uh, and that is that, uh, God is one we can count on and we can believe in. In, in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 6, we read, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I want to think about that expression because that to me encapsulates what the gospel is. First, he must believe that he is. The gospel teaches us that God is. And as we began this series of messages, we talked first about the scripture and then we talked about God. God is. God is a sovereign. He is in charge. He's in control and he's all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty. 
Nothing takes God by surprise. And if you want some good news, it has to start there. And as we start talking about what the body of the gospel is, what the message is, it ultimately is that God was prepared for every eventuality and he prepared a plan to deal with the reality of sin, to deal with the fallen brokenness of man, the brokenness of the world. God was prepared and in his sovereign will, he worked a solution to a problem we couldn't deal with. So we're not left alone in the world dangling out here in sin. No, God is in control. God is. And the message coupled to that is, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if we seek after him, as Paul says to those on Mars Hill in Athens, if we seek him, we will find him. Why? Because he's a rewarder of those who seek him. But it is important to recognize, as it is expressed here in this verse, that without faith, it's impossible to please him. What is faith? Faith is belief. But where does faith come from? The ability to exercise belief comes from what we talked about last month, regeneration, quickening the Holy Spirit. What makes the child of God different from every other individual born in the world? The presence of God actively in their life, which brings a desire to seek Him, a desire to know Him, a recognition of the bad news. The bad news that we are dead in sin. The bad news that hell is our eternal destination because we've offended a righteous God, because we've broken His law. There's a lot of bad news that has to be considered and internalized. As Isaiah the prophet said, all of our righteousnesses, they're but filthy rags. There's nothing we can bring to God to endear us to Him. So what do we do? We seek him. We seek him in his word. We seek him in his gospel. We seek some good news. And in seeking, we find. What do we find? That God is. That God is. The world is opposed to this very message. They want to say God is dead. God is not real. God's word is a lie. The good news, it's no news at all. It's simply an old mythology that was adopted for hundreds of years. But the scripture tells us God is, and we begin to understand some things about God. God created the world, a perfect world, a world exactly the way he wanted it to be. And in that world, he placed a man who was without sin. He gave that man a helpmeet, a wife, to be with him, to be his companion, to be his helper. And together they were to care for this world that God created. But God also gave a law, a single law. One tree you should not eat of, and in the day that thou eatest of, thou shalt surely die. And man promptly partook of the fruit he wasn't to take of. Man rebelled against God, and man fell in sin. We have to understand the reality of this and what it means for you and me. That's what the gospel teaches us. First, we understand that we are altogether sinners, and we are fallen, and we are broken, and sin is a reality that we can't overcome. And sin has a wage that is due it. The wages of sin is death. We begin to comprehend this, internalize it, realize it. We're made to see that there's nothing we can do to approach to this holy God. Because God is. God is holy. God is righteous. All the character of God that we've covered together, this is the message. God is. But we're not left aliens from God. 
We're not left as enemies of God because God reached down to where we are. He stooped down to us. We talked about the the condescension of Jesus Christ, the humanity of Christ. Christ stooped down to where we are. And he lived a perfect human life. A life that was exemplary, a life that was perfect. Serving not his own interests, but serving his Father who was in heaven. Jesus Christ did this. He lived. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, his summation of the gospel or the heart of the gospel. Again, he at various times says everything that he writes is essentially the gospel. But as he defines it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this is the message that we delivered and this is the message that you have to remember, you have to lay hold of. The message is this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and last of all seen of me also, as of one born out of due time." He says, this is the gospel. Christ came. God stooped down. Christ lived. Christ died. He died for our sins, according to the scripture. We talked about the doctrine of atonement. Christ took our sin, the sin of all of his people, on himself. And for those sins, he suffered. And for those sins, He died. And in dying, we died with him. He paid the penalty, the price. But then he rose again, according to the scriptures, just as God decreed. Why? Because God is, and Jesus Christ is not a past tense savior. He rose from the dead. He is. The gospel teaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we died with him, we rise with him. And in him we have power, we have authority, we have the ability to walk in a new life, a new way. And that's good news. There's hope. There's hope where there was no hope. There's hope not that we might come unto God by our actions, by our power, by our ability, but hope in that we are drawn to him in Jesus Christ. And we are enabled to do that which we could not do before. Why? Because without faith it's impossible to please God. How can we please God? Through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And how do we find that faith? Well, that faith is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that is grown and nurtured as we hear his word proclaimed and our hearts cry out, yes, this is true. We amen the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ is alive and he's active and he's working in your life. He's working in my life. And we give assent to that truth. And we say, yes, Jesus Christ died and Jesus Christ rose and Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. And in our lives, we proclaim this good news to a fallen and broken world. 
And that's where the church is brought into this message. What is the purpose of the church? It's to nurture, to grow, to sustain, to maintain the faithfulness of the saints. To draw us ever nearer to that righteousness we're called to in Jesus Christ. That together we might be priests and kings of God in a fallen and a broken world. And we become that good news to the world as we proclaim the word of God, the word of Jesus Christ in our actions, in our deeds, and in the word that we speak. And this message transforms individuals. It transforms churches. It transforms nations. The world has been transformed through and by the gospel. No student of history can underappreciate the value of the gospel when it came in Jesus Christ. He came preaching his own gospel and it transformed the lives of individuals. And those individuals went forth preaching the gospel and it transformed the world as we know it. Now there have been a lot of errant theologies and a lot of errant churches that have been established, but no one can question that the name of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel has changed the face of the world in which we live. And if there's any hope for the world today, a world that it seems the places of power have forsaken God and his word and turned their backs on the gospel, the only hope today is the hope that was hope in the day of the apostles, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ contains everything that is true. Truth in a world full of lies. Jesus Christ spoke to those Pharisees who rejected him. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. Your father was a liar from the beginning. And you're the same. Well, we live in a world filled with liars. But what do we have? We have truth. And that truth is good news. That truth is the gospel. The gospel is good news. What is news? Well, news is a declaration of what is happening, what is true. You read the newspaper, what are you looking for? You're looking for stories about what's going on in the world around you. The gospel is a declaration of what is true, what has happened, what is happening, what's going to happen, and that's how it's presented. The gospel is not an attempt to make something happen. The gospel is not an offer for a new way, a new and different world. The gospel is a declaration. God is. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is, and God sent his son to save his people from their sins. It's a declaration that Jesus Christ came and he did exactly what he came to do. It's a declaration that in so doing, there is a promise that he will continue to do his work until he comes again. And what is that work? That work is to touch the hearts with the Holy Spirit and bring life to dead sinners, bringing them to life in Christ and compelling them to seek him. It's a promise that seeking him, they shall find him. And as the gospel message is proclaimed, they will embrace it. And it will be applied to their hearts and their lives and their actions. It's a promise that as he died to save us from our sins, he also died to communicate to us his life in a very real and meaningful way. And that he will do it. It's a message of hope 
It's a promise. As he said to his disciples, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a promise that churches gathered together in unity of faith and belief in Jesus Christ will be maintained in this world until he comes again. As a witness to the world of truth, yes. Lights in the world, yes. But as a safe haven, a sure and steady support for believers who are tempest-tossed, the pillar and ground of the truth, a community of faith, a community of belief that promotes, that supports, that grows together in the gospel, believing that God's word is truth, proclaiming that truth. And finally, a promise that as we proclaim this word and as we live this life and as we preach his gospel, there are those who will believe his gospel. The preaching of the gospel can be a very discouraging task. And countless God-called ministers have fallen into discouragement, depression, and even made shipwreck of the faith because of the discouragement that comes from preaching a message and it not being well received. You remember in Old Testament times, God sent Jonah to preach the gospel to the city of Nineveh. Jonah was discouraged. He was upset. He said, they'll never hear. They'll never believe. They're a wicked people. He preached the word. They repented. Then he was discouraged and upset because he had been wrong and God had actually worked a great work through him. The ministry and the church is subject often to discouragement. Even as we preach a message of a God who is, a God who's sovereign, a God who's victorious, who wins the battle in every case. You remember Jesus Christ preached to the greatest multitude that had ever gathered to hear him in John chapter 6, and he preached some hard things. He told them they were going to have to give up of themselves, they were going to have to realize their only hope was in him. He said, you're going to have to partake of my sufferings, my afflictions, and it's not going to be an easy road following me. And at the end of the day, the multitude said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And they all departed and left him alone. He was left with just his immediate disciples, those closest to him. He said, will you also go away? And Peter, speaking for the lot of them, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. What did he, what did they say? You have the good news. There's no other place for us to turn. No other place for us to go. The Apostle Paul preached and his message was rejected. In Acts 13, the Jews said, we don't want to hear you anymore. We will not accept this Jesus that you preach. Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. They said, seeing you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. In the final chapter of Acts, as Paul has been shipwrecked, he's been poisoned, he's suffered all kinds of difficulty, He's finally arrived outside the city of Rome on the peninsula of Italy and he's preaching the gospel to Jews there. And they reject the word. 
They reject him outright. In spite of all the miraculous deliverances, in spite of his confidence that God had sent him to that place at that time, the message is rejected. And what does the gospel tell us in that instance? What does the Apostle Paul do with that rejection, that cause for discouragement? He says with great confidence, Be it known therefore unto you the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. They will hear it. So often discouragement comes in the church of God because we look around and we see not as many people as we wish were here rejoicing with us. Or the gospel minister preaches and feels the power of the Spirit in his message and it seems that not enough people are convicted and there's not an outpouring of repentance. And we get discouraged because we don't get the results that we desire. But what does Paul say? They will hear it. Paul's not apologizing for the message that he preached. Not apologizing for the doctrine that he believed. Not looking to change his methods or his manners. What's he say? There's another people that will hear it. Why? Because the gospel promises God has a people. And his spirit is not shortened. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. And he says, my people will be willing in the day of my power. So what do we do with the gospel? The gospel is likened in Jesus' parables to seed that is scattered, broadcast, thrown out on the ground. The sower sows. What happens with the seed? Well, it germinates and it begins to grow. It is for us to declare the gospel. Declare the truth. Preach the gospel. And make it a declaration of good news. Well, how can we do that if we ourselves are discouraged and downcast? The answer is we can't. But where do we find hope? Where do we find joy to preach the gospel? We find it in the God who is and the God who promises that his word will not return to him void. They will hear it. It's important that we be faithful, that we preach the gospel, that we stand on these truths, that we make them known. And the promise is there. We will rejoice because there will be fruit from the labor that we engage in. Thank you for your attention this morning. I pray the Lord will bless the continuance of our service today.